Well, hello again. Nice to see you. And uh, I hope you've had a, a great week. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually recording these back to back, so I'm, I'm in the same attire. I'm just acting like it's a week later. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry to burst your bubble. Uh, or it might make you feel better that I don't just wear the same clothes all the time. But anyway, it's great to see you again. See you again. I'm glad you're, I'm glad you're here. I'm hoping that this journey will be a blessing for you. Uh, I know it, it has been for me. And uh, as we pursue getting to know Jesus better. All right. Now, we left off in the Sermon on the Mount. Not attempting to study the Sermon on the Mount per se. We're just looking at some basic things about this sermon that I believe are incredibly important. We were looking at a series of statements over and over again. Jesus using a, using a figurative uh, wording of something to try to make a very, very important point. Matter of fact, we just left off with be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. Okay, that, that's figurative. Well, somebody will say, well, that word actually means, more correctly translated, means mature. Okay, I, I'm, I'm fine with that. But I still can't do that. Not like God. So anyway, consistent flow here through this, this context of figurative statements emphasizing important points. Watch this next one. You're going to love it. Chapter 6, verse 1. Hey, Siri. Pardon me. Hey, Siri. Set a timer for 25 minutes. <laughs> That's the way to do that. Okay. Chapter 6, verse 1. Of Matthew. Did I say that? Matthew 6 verse 1. Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth. They have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, you ready? Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. When you're giving to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Okay, I get it. I get it. That means then when I'm in church and they're passing the collection plate, then it would look something like this. I'm watching the plate come. The guy next to me gets the plate. Uh, I say, can, can, you, can you hold on that for just a second? And he says, sure. Put my money in the plate. Thank you. Pass it on. And the guy goes, what in the world were you doing? I said, oh, I was just trying to keep the commandments of Jesus. He goes, what do you mean? Well, I was not letting my left hand know what my right hand was doing. And he says, you're an idiot. 
Well, yeah, apparently. But that's what he said to do. That's figurative, folks. Once again, consistency in this context. Figurative context. Look what he says next. You ready? Chapter 6, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. Everything is outward, you see. They want to be seen. They want to be everybody. They want to appear like they're spiritual and righteous. Watch. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So how did Jesus, what, what did Jesus say we're supposed to do when we pray? Go into our room, close the door. Well, what about that? If that's literal, the only place we can pray is in our room with the door closed. Ridiculous. Jesus makes that statement trying to emphasize how important it is that when you pray, it's between you and God. It's not a show for people around you. Right? It's not... It's not a performance trying to look righteous or sound righteous. This is between you and God. He emphasizes that by saying, look, when you pray, you go in your room, you close the door. That's not literal, but it's consistent with the context. Now then, and there's more, okay? But I want to deal with the one that I skipped. This is touchy ground. Okay, so bear with me on this as I try to clarify. All right? Go back, go back to chapter 5, verse 31. Okay? Jesus talks about divorce. Now let me, let me say right up front. Divorce is a bad deal. I think God's against it. Are there exceptions for that? Well, of course. But we have to understand, first of all, it's, it's bad. It's not a good thing in most circumstances. But notice what Jesus says to, you, to make emphasis here about something that is incredibly important. Okay, watch. Verse 31. It has been said, here we go again, it has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you, now he's going to clarify, but I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife except for marital unfaithfulness causes her to become an adulteress. And anyone who marries the divorced woman commits adultery. Here's what I'm going to offer first to begin with. Why would I make this literal? 
when every other one in this list has been figurative. Now, his point he's getting at, oh, it's literal what, he, what he's wanting to accomplish. But the expressions he's using are figurative to emphasize the importance of what he's trying to accomplish. For example, the one right before it, adultery. If you can't, if you can't control your thinking, poke your eye out. If you can't keep from lusting, poke your eye out. Okay? And I'm telling you what, any of you divorces a woman, then she commits adultery and anybody who marries her commits adultery, becomes an adulterer. I think he's emphasizing something. I don't believe. Now, this, this may be old news. I don't know because this is the way it was for me growing up. Basically, uh, getting a divorce was like the unforgivable sin. I mean, it was, I'm not, I'm not saying it's, it's okay, okay, and I'm not trying to condone it in any way, shape, or form, not at all. But what is Jesus trying to get at in this passage? I'll tell you what he's trying to get at. He's trying to get at, your marriage is supposed to last forever. They were divorcing for anything in the world. They didn't like the way their, their wife cooked breakfast that morning. Pfft, divorce her. Find another one. He said, are you kidding me? Your marriage is supposed to be for life. So the idea in this passage is, you, you and I, we better have the right attitude about marriage. And he's emphasizing that by trying to illustrate in a figurative sense how terrible divorce is. Okay? Just staying consistent. There's, there's more figurative things in this series, of, in this list of things. Um, I mean, over and over and over again. Down in, down in chapter 6, verse 19, he talks about, do not store up treasures on earth, but store up for yourselves treasure in heaven. Does that mean it's wrong to have a savings account? I, I don't think that's what he means. Like you, need, you get your priorities right. Spiritual things are more important than material things. Keep them in the right perspective. Okay, so it, it's, it's consistent with the context of these figurative, figurative statements. Uh, wow, he says, don't worry. Well, good luck with that one. The, the great message of, the, of this passage is we don't have to. And we typically do. But I, I don't think God's going to condemn us for worrying when he says, do not worry. It's not that. We don't have to. He's trying to encourage us as to, to show us it's obvious we don't have to. We don't do a, a great job of it. But now here's a good one I want us to deal with. How many of you have been taught in your lifetime that it's wrong to judge other people? Yeah, I know I was too. I was taught that too. That's just not true. Well, in fact, we're actually called to judge each other as Christians. I'll show you that passage in a minute. But let's look at this first. Chapter 7, Matthew 7, verse 1. Do not judge or you too will be... Wow. Right there. There it is, Emmon. It says, do not judge. Keep, keep reading. Do not judge or you too will be judged. 
For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck? Now look, there's, there's figurative things all through this. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? You're sitting there with, you know, getting on to your brother for all these nitpicky things and you're missing the boat. See, this is still directed at the Pharisees. You're missing the whole, whole, the whole thing here is what really, what this really means and here you are judging others, folks. How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the, all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite! Does he say, don't judge? No, look what he says. First, take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck, the speck from your brother's eye. Oh. I get it. It's to do this with the right attitude. First of all, knowing you've got weaknesses yourself, as do I. Look at Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Now it's a bad situation here because if you look, I'm sorry, not 6, chapter 5. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. If you look at the first part of this chapter, they have a situation in this church there at Corinth where a man is sleeping with his stepmother. We're pretty much sure stepmother. It's, it's 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 just uh, it's horrible. Uh, I mean, and Paul is just nailing them for it. He's saying you you've got to do something about this. Expel this brother from your fellowship. That's interesting. You got to make a judgment to do that. Well, here's his words. Verse nine, First Corinthians five. I have written you in my letter. Not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the people in the world who are, who are immoral. Or the greedy or the swindlers or idolaters. That's the world out there. In that case you'd have to leave this world. But now I'm writing you that you must not associate with anyone who calls himself a brother. But is sexually immoral or greedy, an idolater or a slanderer, a drunkard or a swindler. With such a man, do not even eat. Now look what he says. What business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? That's not my deal. Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. Guys, we're called to judge each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. And the judging he's talking about, we're not talking about judging eternal judgment. We're talking about judging behavior. Calling each other into account. Uh, accountability partners. That's what they do. Alright? So when we read in Matthew, back to Matthew 7, we read, do not judge. Well, don't take that literally. Right? Because he's going to go on to tell you, no, you judge. You just judge with the right attitude, with the right spirit. 
But again, this this falls in line in our with our our figurative statements. Look at uh, chapter seven, verse seven. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be. That's not a literal door. Okay, so it's just over and over and over. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate that leads to destruction. And gates, he's illustrating. Okay, but he's he is so consistent. Look what he says in chapter seven, verse. Is it 19? No, it's verse 15. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. That's figurative. Of course it is. Okay? So, over and over and over again throughout this sermon, it is one thing after another using figurative language to emphasize an important point. Remember, it doesn't take away the importance of what he's saying. But it's being honest with the context. It's a figurative context in this series. Uh, why, in, in my upbringing, why would someone go into the middle of that context and yank one of them out about divorce and make it literal when all the rest surrounding it are figurative? doesn't take away from the importance of what he's saying. Not at all. Your marriage is to last forever. But it's not the unforgivable sin if it doesn't. That's not to make it okay. That's to emphasize the importance of keeping your marriage together. Okay? So, don't violate the context and just pick one out and make it, make it literal. Alright? So that, that's, my, that's my skipping a rock through the Sermon on the Mount, I just wanted us to understand the main point is your righteousness can easily surpass that of the Pharisees and teachers of the law because they missed it completely. Everything they did was for show. And so the basic point of the sermon is to show it's about the heart. It's about what's on the inside. It's about our attitude towards people. It's about controlling our thoughts. It's about keeping our relationships strong for our, the rest of our lives. It's about being a person of our word. It's about not being a person who's always looking for revenge. It's about someone who, who loves in their enemies. They see people like God sees them. They see them through His eyes. It's about people who don't give for show, who don't pray for show. It's about people who, who have things on straight when it comes to material things. They're, they're, they keep things in proper perspective and proper priority. Spiritual things come first. And it's about people that, that do judge brothers and sisters in each other, but with the proper insight and proper attitude as we help each other to be more like Christ. See, that, that, that's, that's the message of the book. The Pharisees, they were hypocrites. They missed it on every, every account. So your righteousness can surpass theirs. You get your heart right. You get the inside right. The outside will take care of itself. Okay? All right. Now then, 
I tell you what, let's do. What I <laughs> what I want to do next is I want to uh, I want to hit some highlights along the way, and I know that's unfair because that that means they're like my my favorites. Okay, but the first one, and I, we mentioned this, all right. But I want you to uh, I want you to see this take place. Turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter thirteen. Matthew thirteen. I told you that one of my goals was to put forth a case that Jesus' emotional suffering was worse than his physical, as crazy as that might sound. I think that began, excuse me, that process began in the wilderness with Satan. That was tough. That was a tough time for him. It was difficult to go through. Oh, he did it, and he made it through. But it's a tough beginning. I think this is also a difficult time in the early days of his ministry. Matthew chapter 13, look at verse 53. When, now, I alluded to this passage before, but here I want, we get to see it. When Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Hmm. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers, they asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, only in, his, only in his hometown and in his own house is a prophet without honor. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. You ever thought about how tough that was for him? Typically for us, going home is a good thing, right? Have you ever thought about how difficult that was for him? He gets to Nazareth. And he begins to share some amazing things with his his hometown. And they turned on him. Now, somebody could say, yeah, but didn't he know that already, being God? Didn't he know that was going to happen? I believe he did. But now he's watching it. Now he sees it. Now he experiences it firsthand as they turn on him. Now, I think it hurt him. I think it hurt him. I think it cut him. Cut him deeply. And so it's just one of the things along the way in the three years of his ministry. And this is at the beginning. It's just one of those things that uh, that cut, that hurt him. All right. Oh, by the way, by the way, of course, I just I just I skipped over numeral parables and uh, I, we're not going to go through the parables, but. I do want to, to make one point. Let me ask the question. Why, why did Jesus teach in parables so often? Why did he do that? Good. Good answer. Good answer. <laughs> uh, most of the time, what we'll say is, 
He taught in parables so that people could better understand his message that he's trying to get across. Well, that's just not true. That is not why he taught in parables. I'm going to illustrate that and teach this to you by using one parable and the the conversation that takes place. Very, very common parable. Go back to the beginning of Matthew 13. This is a very familiar parable and a great one, by the way. You realize he talks about you in this parable. He does. So it's a great parable. Let's take a look at it and then see what happens. Verse 1. That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it while all the people stood on the shore. Then he told them many things in parables, saying, It's the parable of the sower. Okay? I think, it's, I think we need to read it. A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow, but when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. He who has ears, let him hear. By the way, you're in that parable. You're one of those four. Go, go look at it. Find yourself in there. Okay. Ah, yes, the parable of the sower. Wow, that's so good. Let's see, what, what, did the, what, what does the parable of the sower mean? What did each of these uh, uh, soils represent? Oh, okay, we know that, right? The, the soil that, that, I mean, the seed that fell upon the path, well, that's the, the hard heart. It was beat down. That's the hard heart. And the seed did not sink in. It sat on top, and, and Satan just came and snatched the word away. And, and the, 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 the seed that fell on the stony ground where it sprang up quickly, but it had no root. Oh, that's the person that appears to receive the word and the Lord. Initially, everything's all good, but there's nothing real, no root there, and they wither out and they die. And the one in the, with the weeds, that's where they, they, they accept the word of the Lord, but then all the cares of the world grow up around them and choke them out. And then there's the good soil. That's the heart that receives the word and produces a crop. That's what the parable of the sower means. That's right. How, how, how did we know that? How do we know that's what it meant? If that's all we had right there, if we just read the parable, what we just read, how would we know what that meant? Timer's up. Give me just a few. How would we know what it meant? Because watch this. Watch what his disciples say right after the conclusion of the parable. Let's read verse 9 again. Jesus speaking. He who has ears, let him hear. Verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Everybody listening? If it was to help everybody understand his message better, they would have never asked that. It would have been obvious. They didn't understand the parable, y'all. Look at verse 
Is it 18? Maybe? Yep, I think it's 18. Look at verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. And then he explains it. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes, snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The one who received the seed and fell on rocky places is the man who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since he has no root, he lasts only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, he quickly falls away. And he goes through and he describes everyone. He has to explain it because they wouldn't have known. Now go back to where they ask him. Verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Jesus replied, The knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and he, he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal it. Why did he speak in parables? Because the, the hard hearts of the hypocrites, it's, it's difficult to say this, it's because this way they wouldn't understand what Jesus was saying. And that sounds so bad, but that's what he says. He says, the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, they've been given to you, but not to them. Why not? Because their hearts are hard. They're calloused. They're not going to soften. So Jesus puts forth this message in a language that only those who seek answers will understand. And that's his disciples, you see, because then he then gets with them and explains it to them. And to whomever else wants to know the meaning. The hard-hearted self-righteousness, they didn't care. And so the message was not for them. Ouch. Understand that doesn't mean they can't soften up and repent and be changed. That's not what that's talking about. In the state they're in right now, hard, their hearts are hard, and they cannot see, they will not hear. So it's kind of kind of an interesting statement to say, why did Jesus teach so often in parables? It was so certain people could not understand. Wow. Well, hopefully they will down the line. It's just... Look at it. Okay. Alright. So we're going to stop right there. Glad, So glad y'all are here. Post any questions you have on uh, online on the on the YouTube channel where, where this is being uh, broadcast. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about those too if we need to. So until next time, have a great and a wonderful week. I pray God blesses you in every way. And that we all continue to give glory and honor to Christ.